Well, good morning. My name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor at our Carmel campus uh, for Genesis Church, and I haven't been here for a little while, so it's so great to be back with you guys here in Noblesville. It, it's kind of strange for me because I do live in Noblesville, but I work in Carmel, and so I make that commute. It's got to be like, uh, you know, 20 minutes every day, and it's awful. Um, but the other day, I was uh, on my way home. It was a Thursday night. Now, Thursday's our last work day at Genesis. We work Sunday to Thursday. And so it was Thursday evening. I had gotten a late start leaving the office, so it was a little later than I'd like. And uh, I was uh, driving home, and I got to uh, an intersection that's typically fairly busy. But uh, th to that day, it seemed to be particularly busy. And so I kind of rerouted, made a detour, and went down a road I don't normally go down. And, and as I was headed down that way, I, uh, there was a car crash. And uh, so I thought, oh great. My first thought was, oh great, I've got to turn around and uh, go a different way now, a third different way. And I got up to this car crash where I started to turn my car around and I realized it had just happened. Like there was still steam coming from one of the cars and both of the drivers were still in their car and there were no police or ambulance or anything on the scene. I was about the second or third car there. And so as I was turning my car around, my first thought was somebody, I hope somebody stops and helps with this. I think somebody should do something about this. Now, I know that I'm a pastor, all right? And you guys probably think all I do all day is go, go around and look for people that I can help, right? I mean, that's what you think is that I just go around, I drive the streets of Noblesville and Carmel looking for ways that I can help people. And maybe that's what I should do. But my first thought in this situation was somebody should do something about that. You know, I'm not particularly skilled. I don't have any medical skills. I don't know what I could do. But the truth is it was Thursday evening. It was late. I wanted to get home and see my family, just like you do when you're going home from work. And so as I turned my car around, I saw uh, this mom in one of the cars getting her two-year-old son out of the back seat, and I thought, I think that someone is supposed to be me. And so I pulled my car over, and uh, like I said, I don't have a lot of skills or, or in the medical field, for sure. I'm not a professional, but at that moment, I was able to, she got out of the car, um, was getting her two-year-old son out of the car, and I saw that she was very scared. She was very nervous, and, and she carried her son across the street. She actually was kind of wobbling. She couldn't walk straight. And, and I saw that the man in the other car got out, and he was screaming in pain. He was obviously not uh, severely hurt, but he had hurt his leg. And so uh, there was somebody tending to him. So I was able to help this woman across the street. I was able to help her call her mother and tell her that she'd been in a car accident, try to calm her down. I was able to pray over her at the scene and, uh, until authorities got there. And if I hadn't responded to that prompting from God, I don't know what would have happened. Probably, maybe somebody else would have stopped to help. Um, I was able to call 911 and so to get that process going as well. And so uh, there are times in your life, and what we're going to talk about today as we uh, talk about chapter 20 in the story, is we're going to talk about there are times in your life when you'll think to yourself, somebody should do something about this. And you're going to receive a prompting from God that says maybe that someone is you. And how are you going to respond to that? And so as we're continuing in the story today, uh, if you haven't been with us, we are going through this book called The Story, and it is uh, the, the chronological story of the Bible. We're going through this this year, and we are almost through the Old Testament. We're in chapter 20 today, and it's the story of Esther. And so we hope that you're reading along with us and that you read the chapter before you come to church. Uh, and, but maybe you think, I don't have this book. Well, that's okay, because this book is based on this book, 
okay, the Bible. And, um, and so in your worship program, there is a reading plan for you every week. You can read uh, the story in your own Bible uh, before you come to church. Now, if you don't have this book, if you don't have the Bible, we have one for you. Uh, we would love to give you as a gift. And so at the Info Hub, you can go get one right now if you don't own a Bible uh, or on your way out, you can grab one. We have a Bible for you uh, free of charge. We just love for you to be uh, reading the Word of God along with us. I think it helps us to be prepared when we come on Sunday morning. So today we're in chapter 20, uh, which is the story of Esther. And so you can open your Bibles to the book of Esther or open your uh, storybook to chapter 20. And this morning we're going to look at the story of, how, of one young woman and how God used this one woman to do some amazing things. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of Esther, it really is a fantastic story. And I want to I just be upfront with this. There is something in there for men and women. All right, I, I was telling somebody this week that we were, um, we were preaching through the story of Esther this week, and he told, and this is somebody that goes to our church. He's in Carmel, so he's not here, so it's okay. I'm not gonna violate any confidence. And he said, that's a great story for women. And I said, you know what? It's a great story for men too. Just because the main character is a woman doesn't mean that men can't get anything out of it. It's really a fantastic story, but it's a little bit of a confusing story, especially if you're not familiar with scripture. And so, uh, because there are five main characters, there aren't a lot of stories where there are five main characters. And because of that, I brought along a little visual aid to help us with this. I've got five playing cards in my hand. I know in the back, you may not be able to see those, but uh, if you get here early enough, you can sit in the front. I just want to tell you that. There are five main characters in the story of Esther, and I promise you I'm not going to do a card trick with these, okay? There's no sleight of hand going on. I'm just using these as a visual aid. And so uh, the, the first character we meet as we read the story of Esther is a king, and his name is King Xerxes. He is the king over all of Persia. Now, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know the story, the nation of Israel has been invaded, uh, the, the north first by the Assyrians and then the south by the Babylonians. The Babylonians took over the Assyrian Empire, and then the Persians came over, came in, took over the entire uh, Babylonian Empire. And so all of Israel is now ruled by the Persians, while Xerxes is the king of the Persian Empire. Now, on this day, the king uh, decided to throw a party. And this wasn't just any ordinary party. This party lasted 180 days. You think you've had some epic bashes at your house, okay? 180 days, so six months. And what happened was uh, there was lots of food, lots of drink, and after it was over, nobody wanted to go home. You ever have one of those dinners where you're expecting to be people to be there till 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and then one in the morning, you know, uh, you're still serving, people are still there, and you're thinking, man, I need to go upstairs and get to bed so these nice people can go home, right? And, and, and people won't leave. Well, imagine if you've been going six months and people still won't leave. Well, the good thing with Xerxes is he was kind of a party animal too, and he wasn't ready to give up, and so uh, Xerxes extended the party uh, with a special banquet. You know, and in Esther chapter one, it says, after seven days of partying, that King Xerxes uh, sent for his wife. Now, she's the second char character in the story. Her name is, uh, uh, is Queen Vashti. We'll call her the Queen of Diamonds, okay? Queen Vashti is there. Now, let's just say that Xerxes ordered Queen Vashti to come and entertain his guests, all right? I mean, basically, he, she's a trophy wife, and he wants to show her off, and he's got these people that have been drinking for a while. They've been eating a lot. They're in pretty good spirits, and so uh, he asked his queen to come and entertain the guests, and she refused. I mean, after all, Queen Vashti, you know, she's got some dignity in her. She's got some morals, and so uh, she refused to come. Well, King Xerxes is so put off by this, he's so embarrassed by it, that she is exiled from the kingdom. She's asked to leave. 
uh, and, and never to come back again. And so what happens is through a series of events, the search for a new queen begins. So there's this beauty pageant that's held of sorts. Um, King Xerxes' men have this great idea. Let's just get all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies from <laughs> Persia to come to the palace. I just, I'm sorry, I just made that up. I don't know why. <laughs> to come to the palace and, and the king will choose from among them the one that he wants to be the next queen. He'll put a ring on it, right? Okay, and so... He searches throughout the entire, his men go throughout the entire uh, empire of Persia looking for the woman who would be the next queen. And if you were a young single lady in Persia, you didn't really have a choice as to whether you would come or not. I mean, the, the men would come, they would seek you out, they would put you uh, uh, in a vehicle and take you or on a horse or on a donkey or whatever uh, the means of transport was and take you to the palace. You would be carted off. And some uh, scholars believe there were as many as a thousand women that were chosen to take part in this pageant, including one woman in particular, a young Jewish girl by the name of Esther. She got a book of the Bible named after her. Now, for whatever reason, Esther happened to be at the right place at the right time, captivating uh, the king's aides with her beauty. Now, so time passes, okay? And after 12 months of this, you know, Persia's next top model competition, uh, Esther's turn comes to appear before the king. And when she did, her beauty overwhelmed the king, scripture tells us. Uh, Esther comes and uh, the king immediately picks up the royal crown and puts it on her head, pronouncing her Queen Esther. We'll call her the Queen of Hearts. And Esther is the main character in this story. Now there's another important character in this story. His name is Mordecai. Mordecai is our ace in the hole. All right, we're going to find out how important he is. Mordecai is the older cousin to Esther, and, and in fact, Esther, for most of her life, had no parents, so Mordecai, her older cousin, actually raised her. And Mordecai what makes what turns out to be a very clever and very important decision uh, early on in this. He makes a demand of Esther that when she goes to the palace, she not tell anybody that she's from the nation of Israel. She's not supposed to tell anybody that she's a Jew, and she doesn't. And that turns out to be a very important uh, part of the story later. Now, finally, you need to know about the fifth character, and his name is Haman. And Haman is one of King Xerxes' highest-ranking offici officials, and we'll let the joker uh, represent Haman. Not because he's funny. All right, don't think court jester joker. Think um, joker from Batman. All right? Uh, Haman is evil. He's got his own motives. He was so full of himself that he actually believed that any of the king's servants, anybody that worked in the king's palace, should bow to him when he walked by. Well, ever since Esther had moved to the palace, uh, Mordecai, her cousin, this was not a good idea to put those there, uh, Mordecai would sit at the king's gates. He, he would sit and watch uh, his cousin that he helped raise. And so, uh, uh, he, would, he would stay there in order to be close to her. Now, one day when Haman walked by the palace gates, he noticed that this Jewish man, Mordecai, refused to bow to him. And, and that made Haman furious. Uh, and so Haman decides, he says, I'm not just going to destroy Mordecai, but I want to destroy all of the Jews in all of Persia. And so he sets this plan in motion. He, he, he gets some time with the king, and he goes to him, and he says, Hey, king, there is this group of people uh, scattered throughout your kingdom who don't obey your laws. They have their own laws. They don't worship your gods. They worship their own god. And he says, King, if it would please you, I think that we uh, should, would you sign a decree to have this people destroyed? And King Xerxes is like, 
Yeah, whatever. You know, do whatever you have to do. Wipe out the Jews. Now remember, he doesn't know that his brand new queen is a Jew because she hasn't told anybody that yet, right? And, and so uh, the Bible says that when Mordecai learned of this plot, he tore his clothes and he ran out into the middle of the city and he wept. And there was immense mourning and weeping among all of the Jews in Persia. And that's when Mordecai realized he had to get word to Esther, that Esther was the nation's only hope. Well, word finally gets to Esther and she's scared. And she doesn't really think anything uh, could be done about it. See, even the queen was not permitted to approach the king without being called for. If she were to go to the king on a bad day, he could literally have her killed. Uh, but Mordecai was insistent. Esther, he said, don't think that because you're the queen that you alone will escape. He says, if you keep silence, then relief and deliverance will come to our people from another time and another place. Uh, but you and all of your father's house and I uh, will be destroyed. And then he gives her the punchline. And this is really where we're going to focus today. This convincing statement when he says, who knows, Esther, that maybe you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so Esther decides to act. But not knowing what to do and not yet filled with the courage to take the next step, Esther asked Mordecai to pray. In fact, she asked Mordecai to get all of the Jews in all of Persia praying. She says, pray for me, pray for my courage and my strength, fast for me, don't eat or drink anything for three days. She says, I will do the same. When three days pass, I will approach the king. And then she says, if I perish, I perish. You know, just like Ivan Drago in Rocky IV, you know, if, I, if he dies, he dies. So on the third day, after fasting and praying, Esther puts on her royal robes, uh, she breathes deeply, and she walks into the king's chambers, risking her life. Uh, the king is sitting on his throne, he's facing the door, and when he saw Queen Esther standing there and entering his court, the Bible tells us that she won favor in his eyes. And king Xerxes asked, what is it, queen? Well, Esther's not quite yet ready to ask this huge favor of the king, so she decides to host a banquet. And in that moment, she invited the king and Haman to a dinner, okay, a big banquet that she would hold that night. And so that night, in the midst of all the festivities, um, the king and Haman are drinking wine and eating and having a good time, and the king remembers that she asked them there for a reason, and so he says, what is your request, Queen Esther? Uh, whatever it is, up to half the kingdom, I will grant it to you. Just tell me what you want. Well, Esther loses the nerve. She kind of chickens out. Uh, and so uh, she says, uh, you know, it's a big ask, first of all. And then Haman, the man that she's about to rat out, is right there in the room with her. And so she says, um, you two come back tomorrow night. I'm going to throw another banquet, and then I'll make my request. And so Haman leaves, and the king, and they leave, and they're in pretty high spirits. And Haman leaves and he gets back to the king's gate and Mordecai is there. And Mordecai again refuses to bow to him. And uh, that joker Haman decides right then and there it's time to get rid of Mordecai. And so he orders to have a gallows built where they will hang Mordecai in the morning. Well, the next day the king and Haman were drinking wine with Esther that night. Uh, the king pleaded with his bride and asked again, Queen Esther, what is your request? Even half the kingdom, it will be granted to you. And Esther's time had come. She, she knew it was time. She knew that the circumstances wouldn't get any better. And she replied, if I have found favor with the king 
and it pleases your majesty, please grant my life and spare my people. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and annihilation. And at that moment, the king rose up and he demanded, who is he? Who would dare to do such a thing for my queen? And Queen Esther replied, it's that joker Haman. Immediately, Haman is dragged out into the street and hanged on the very gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And the king immediately sends out a new decree, and eventually Esther and all of her people, the entire nation of Israel, are saved because of her passion, her courage to ask, an entire nation is spared. Now, what fascinates me about this story is that we have a young woman, an, an innocent bystander of sorts, who would risk everything, including her own life, she was willing to risk her position and the comforts of her palace all for the cause that had captured her heart. Now, this great point of tension in her life really comes to the surface in Esther chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you might turn it there, Esther 4. At this point, Esther has learned that the king has authorized a plan uh, to wipe out the Jewish people. There's this conversation. This is the conversation I talked about between Esther and Mordecai. The king, uh, uh, they're sending messages back and forth, okay, to communicate to one another these thoughts. Esther 4 uh, verse 10. It says, Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed, she said, uh, since I was called to go to the king. And so Esther knew that if she approached the king that she could die. And think about what would happen. I mean, think about what happened to Queen Vashti. She's over there somewhere. You know, she's been kicked out. Uh, and, and Esther hadn't been called to the king in 30 days. And so it's not like he didn't have other wives and, and concubines, you know, to fall back on. And so this is the conversation that's happening. Esther had to believe the king had lost interest in her. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent in this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your, you and your family's father will perish. And then he says this, And who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. We see those words again. You know, for such a time as this. It's unquestionably the most famous words in the story of Esther. You know, it's the phrase that really defines the calling of her life. It's interesting when you think about it, when you examine Scripture and you listen to the stories of people who talk about a calling from God. You know people like that? You know people that have said, I've been called to do this. I know that God is calling me to do this. And this is so important to you, okay, especially if you are struggling uh, to figure out what God is calling you to do, what God has made you for, because probably more than we realize, this is true, you don't find your calling your calling finds you. You don't find your calling. Your calling finds you. And it all starts when you start out with those simple, seemingly innocent words. Someone should do something about this. I mean, isn't it true? And we've seen it over and over again as we've read through the story. Somebody is innocently going about their lives 
And then all of a sudden, something happens. Someone sees someone in need, someone being abused, uh, someone who's being mistreated. All of a sudden, there's this moment when somebody says, someone should do something about this. Why not me? You know, wasn't that true for Moses? He watched as his people were uh, beaten and abused and then kept as slaves, and it brought such pain in his heart that, that he said, someone should do something about this. You know, David watched Goliath threaten the nation of Israel and, and, and mock them and mock their God. And, and the, he watched the Israelite army crumble in fear, and even King Saul, the warrior, crumble in fear. It's when David had this moment. He was like, someone should do something about this. Well, we're right in that moment with Esther, too. You know, she's having one of those someone should do something about this kind of moments. And, and all of a sudden, her cousin Mordecai is right there, and he says, maybe it's you. And maybe that someone is you. Now, see it for yourself. Look at what happens when someone like Esther finds herself in a moment like this. She all of a sudden realizes her life, her circumstances are not by accident. They're, they're not random. Rather, God has her in this time, in this place, uh, for a reason. It, it's a God-ordained intersection uh, where all of a sudden she realizes that her unique gifts and passions have opened, an opened the door for an opportunity, a very unique opportunity with a cause that she believes in. It's a great intersection. What was Esther's gift? Well, honestly, part of it anyway was that she was beautiful. Esther 2.7 says that this young woman was lovely in form and features. Husbands, go for it. You know, what a great line to use, right? You know, some night uh, when it's late at night, maybe you just turn to your wife and said, honey, you are lovely in form and features. <laughs> How do you like that? You like that? Try that out, you know, see if you don't get a little belly button to belly button time out of it. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that, you need to go back earlier this summer and check out our marriage series called From This Day Forward Online. But seriously, beauty was part of Esther's gift. Now, I know it may be difficult for you to believe, okay, but... Imagine for a moment a time in history, uh, there once existed a time and culture where men and women were obsessed with external beauty. All right, just imagine this for a moment, okay, where women were valued based on their physical appearance. All right, and so powerful men used and abused women uh, for nothing more than sexual gratification. And because of this, women would go to great lengths uh, to make themselves look beautiful. They'd go to extravagant beauty treatments, extreme diets, uh, excessive workout plans, all to make themselves look youthful. Now, I know it's weird to think about, okay? But, but imagine it's like that. Like it or not, there was once a time in history where older men with wealth and power would try to attract younger women. Can you imagine? Has anything really changed that much? There was an article in the New York Times a, a few years ago about a socially conscious group, a group called the Barbie Liberation Organization. All right, I'm not making this up, all right? Have you heard of the uh, Barbie Liberation Organization? It's true. A few years back, uh, this group launched a prank where they went to a bunch of Toys R Us stores around the New York City area, and they bought up all of these talking G.I. Joe dolls, uh, action figures, sorry, <clears throat> action figures, and all of these talking Barbie dolls, and they bought these, and they took them, and they exchanged the voice boxes in the two, and carefully repackaged them and returned them to the store. And then over the next few days, there were stories of boys who were buying their G.I. Joe dolls, getting them home, and hearing things, pushing the button and hearing things like, let's go shopping, or hey, Ken, let's plan our wedding. You know, and at the same time, there were hundreds of little girls who opened their Barbie dolls, pushing the button only to hear Barbie say, vengeance is mine, eat lead, cobra. 
You know, as a man raising daughters, I am thankful that the Bible makes a strong statement that the true value of women is not based on external appearances. You know, women are called to so much more. A woman's calling is so much more than just waiting around on a man to choose you. You know, and, and single ladies in the room, I'm going to tell you, the church is not always very good at recognizing this fact. We're not always really good at valuing for who you, for who you are, where you are. But, but we love you, and we need you, and, and I want you to know that you don't have to rush into a relationship. You don't have to rush into a marriage to make yourself feel valuable. Like, you have value for who you are. God made you who you are. And Esther is a story of a girl who called uh, who is called, anointed, and empowered by God, and eventually she found the courage to respond to that call. You know, Esther's God-given gift enabled her to find a place at that palace, and because of her character and her faith, uh, she was able to have great influence with the king, too. So let me ask you, what's your gift? You know, what is the gift that God has given you? Maybe you're a leader, and you've got this great ability to influence others to take action. And maybe you're an organizer, and so when it comes to details, you, can, you know what it takes to get the job done. You can look at a project and go, we got to do this, and we got to do it this time, and we need these materials. You know, you know what it takes. Maybe you're an artist, and through your art, you're able to tell a story in a way that nobody else can tell it. You know, maybe you have the gift of hospitality, and nothing gets you more excited than welcoming people into your home in a way that makes them feel like they're the most important person on earth. You know, maybe you're good at numbers. Maybe you're good at fixing things and building things. You know, maybe you're a great teacher, and because of, or maybe because of your faith that you pray in a way that makes other people believe too. God has given you gifts. And if you know what those gifts are, it might just be a clue to what God has called you to do. Now, not only did Esther have these gifts, but she also had a cause. You know, some of you might have a cause too. What, what's a cause? Well, a cause is something that makes your heart beat a little bit faster. It's something that when you see it or when you find yourself close to it, just, just being there does something for you. It's interesting what happens when, when our gifts intersect with our cause. You know, and then add to that, when you find a group of other people that are equally excited about that same cause, and the next thing you know, people start talking about how together they could really make a difference. Before you know it, passion turns into action. And then back to Esther 4. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You see the transformation there? You see the transformation in Esther? All of a sudden she goes from this like frightened, submissive, little girl almost, to this powerful queen who's ready to take on the leadership role. You know, the passion is right there. See it for yourself. She says, if I perish, I perish. She's like, we're all going to die. And I, I believe in this moment in my life so much that I can't think of any other way I'd rather die. Like Esther felt so compelled by this calling from God that she was willing to give her life for it. It became the passion of her life. You know, if you were here last week, you may know that um, Genesis Church is excited to welcome home Brandon and Katie Hutchins. Uh, they've been serving on staff with Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti for the past couple years. There's their picture along with uh, some of the people from Haiti. Uh, if you've been here for any, any length of time or if you've been on one of our mission trips to Haiti, you, you know and love Brandon and Katie and their story. 
you know, Brandon and Katie were just kind of minding their own business, working in this community and serving here at Genesis Church when they first signed up for one of our Haiti mission trips. And they got back from that first one and decided they weren't just going to go on one, they were going to go on several. And so they went to a couple, they quickly signed up for another one. And, and whether they realized it at first or not, God was preparing something for them. Like he was putting a cause into their lives. And, and I don't know for them if it was uh, the poverty that they encountered down there. It probably had something to do with the people they met and the kids, but somewhere along the way, they thought to themselves, someone has to do something about this. There are people in Haiti that are starving. There are people that are not being loved. They're not getting the medical treatment. They're not learning about Jesus, and somebody has got to do something about this. And even if they knew they couldn't solve it all, that they weren't going to be the answer to Haiti's problems, they knew that they were those someones. And so Brandon and Katie quit their jobs, they sold their cars and almost everything they had, and they moved to Haiti for what was supposed to be a one-year commitment, and it quickly turned into two. And in the past couple of years, they've contributed in powerful ways and meaningful ways to the great work that God is doing on the ground in Haiti. And if you've been on one of our trips, you've seen that in action. Well, they're on vacation this week after getting back from their two-year stint in Haiti, but we're so excited to welcome them back. Katie is back home to study nursing. Uh, but if you ask them, they will tell you that they know that God's not done with them in Haiti yet, that, that he's getting them ready for what's next. And they're ready and willing to be used anywhere in the world for anything, but Haiti's their thing. It's their cause. What's your cause? What's that thing in your life? What, what's that passion that makes you say, someone should do something about this? What's that one thing that you come back to over and over and over again? You know, I have friends that have moved to Japan and Germany and even the Middle East to serve as missionaries. I've got good friends that are planting churches, and there's not much money in that, but they believe that reaching people for Jesus is worth it. It's honestly worth it. I have neighbors who open their home to foster children. I know people in our church who intentionally choose to live in smaller homes so they can give more money away. I know people who spend their weekends volunteering at a homeless shelter. So there are, are no homeless people in heaven, they say, so why should there be on earth? I know people who serve with kids almost every week. And they, they believe that sharing the gospel with children is totally worth it. What is it for you? You know, what's your cause? What is it that God has prepared and equipped you for and has wired your heart to be passionate about? You know, maybe you're at a place in your life where you're waiting on God to show you what to do. If so, do you know, do you realize, have you read the story of Esther this week, that God is not mentioned once in the entire book of Esther? It's true. It's the, the only book in the Bible where the name God is not mentioned at all. It's not by accident. It's not like the writer of this Old Testament book got finished and said, oh, God, I forgot to mention God. You know, the Old Testament is full of incredible, unexplainable stories like the, the, the sea parting and plagues being sent and fire falling from heaven and God is present and behind it all. And scripture makes it clear that God does this and God does that. But Esther is unique in that the, the, the Jews are delivered through a string of connected, um, at first glance, circumstances, coincidences. Do you know what? There are no coincidences with God. You know, when I think about it, my life, is a lot like Esther's life, and maybe yours is too. Because when I look back on my life, I don't see seas parting. And I don't see fire falling from heaven. But what I do see when I look back are 
circumstances that came together to make things change in my life. I look back and I see people that have been working in my life, people to help me find my way back to God, people to trust me with leadership, people that told me what they saw in me and that I might be good in ministry, you know, people willing to take a chance on me. And in all these situations, as I stand here now, I can look back and I can see that it was God leading and guiding and empowering and equipping. Nothing is insignificant. You know, there are no coincidences. The, the writer of Esther is trying to communicate that too. God is no less at work at a string of uh, connected circumstances than he is in the miraculous or the unexplainable. So what's your thing? What's the cause in your life? Look around right now. What does God want to do through your story? What are the gifts he's given you? What are the causes and the situations that you come across and just make you think someone has got to do something about that? It's possible even today that the God of heaven might open your eyes and help you to see that that, that someone is you. And God is calling each of us to be his modern day temple builders. We talked about that last, last week if you were here. We've been tasked with the mission of bring people into the presence of God. You know, if you're uh, uh, at Genesis Church is your home, you know that our mission is helping people find their way back to God. I believe that God is calling each and every one of us to greater things. Uh, the truth is that you have some opportunities right now in your life, right in front of you, opportunities to say yes. Maybe that's the very thing you need to do today, is say yes. You know, in a minute here, we're going to pray, and I, I think the defining moment for Esther wasn't so much Mordecai's challenge. You know, Esther, you're here for such a time as this. Rather, I think the defining moment for Esther was when she made up her mind to pray, and she asked Mordecai to pray, and she asked all of the Jews to be praying. You know, on her own, Esther wasn't up for the task, but she prayed and opened up her heart, and with the help of God, she discovered she was capable of doing anything. And so we're going to take some time and pray here in a minute. And what I want to do is I want to give you a minute or two to pray on your own. But before we do that, I want to ask you this. What do you need to pray for today? You know, maybe for you, you need to ask God to open your eyes to a cause that's worth giving your life for. Maybe you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I don't know what my cause is. I don't know what it is that makes my heart beat faster. Maybe you need to ask God to reveal those gifts that he's given you and how you can put those to work. Maybe you know those things and you're just afraid. You know, maybe you're here and you just need to ask God for the courage to act. Uh, not all these things that we've talked about are big things. Maybe you need to ask God, you know, to help you find a place to serve here at Genesis. Maybe you've already got opportunities around you and you've just not said yes to any of them. Maybe you need to ask God to help you say yes uh, to an opportunity that's presented itself. Or most of all, I mean, if you're here and you recognize that you're not in the right place in your life, that, that you've been running from God, maybe you need to ask him to take you back. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness in that way. And so I'd just like you to bow your heads right now with me. And as we go into a time of prayer, I'm going to give you a minute or two in silence just to pray to yourself, and then I'll come back up here and close. And then we're going to go into a time of uh, response through worship and song.
God, I don't know <clears throat> all of the things that are being lifted up to you right now, but I'm just uh, in awe of your presence. I'm thankful for the causes uh, and the way you've given each and every one of us passions uh, that we get excited about. And I'm thankful and uh, amazed by the way you give us each gifts to use uh, to build your kingdom and that you uh, are so selfless in giving us each gifts that differentiate us, that make us different, that each and every one of us have been created in a way that we're unique and we have skills and abilities that nobody else has and that you've given us that for a reason so that we can work in your kingdom and help people find their way back to you, that you've given us unique opportunities and challenges to serve. And I just ask as we're all praying, as we're uh, continuing in prayer, that, that you're already equipping us to say yes to some of those opportunities, that you're helping us to discover what you've made us for. That, that God, we pray for the big things and the big opportunities and the, the uh, things that people might be thinking about and praying about right now that would change the course of their lives. But God, we also thank you for the little things the chances to serve on a Sunday morning, the chances to invest in a neighbor, to invest in a family member uh, that might make a difference in their life that we may not even realize. God, most of all, I thank you for the lives that are being lifted up right now. We know that through all of the opportunities to serve and to be around and serve other people and help other people, that the thing you want most from us is our heart, that that you want us, regardless of what's happening in our circumstances, regardless of what goes on in this world, that you want us to look to Jesus to be our model, to be our guide, to be our Savior. And so, Lord, as we come into a time of response, uh, we're going to sing this last song, and uh, we just lift it up to you, God. We, we pray, we ask that with everything going around, uh, around us, going on around us, uh, everything that's in our lives, that you would help us to put that all aside and focus on your son Jesus and the work he did for us on the cross. God, thanks for what you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.